Have you ever found yourself in a position where you are in desperate need of somebody to help you? Somebody to sort of come to your rescue? You know, we could probably, if we sat and thought about it, come up with different times in our lives when, yes, we needed rescuing. We needed somebody to come and do something that we could not do for ourselves. Well, yesterday I found myself in that position, and thankfully I was with someone who was able to rescue both of us. And so many of you know that uh, Claudia and I and our family are in the process of um, of moving my dad out of his house that he's been in for 52 years, and he's coming to live with us in a new home that we are purchasing uh, in the area so, uh, so that he could come and live with us. And uh, it's time, and many of you know my dad, it's, it's been a while since he's been here, and he has um, been, uh, he just finished up radiation uh, for cancer, and he's doing really well. Uh, many of you know my brother also is um, struggling and in, in fighting cancer, and they live together in this house. And so we knew about a year ago it was time to start this process of having my dad come live with us, and my brother was going to live elsewhere. And so we've been on this push to get his house ready because it is being sold, and we're closing on that house in two weeks. And so if you've ever purchased or sold a house, you know it can be a crazy busy time, right? And so we're doing both at the same time. We are selling a home and buying a home. And so uh, my dad and my brother are not able to physically help us. And so it's been me and Claudia and our kids sometimes to go uh, make lots of trips up north to where my dad lives and begin the process of going through 52 years worth of stuff. And I know you're all sitting there thinking of your house and all of your stuff, right? And what that's going to be like. But you know... Uh, there is joy in it. It can be bittersweet because you find things you haven't seen forever. And uh, we cleaned out the attic the other day and stuff that had been up there for 30 years. And, and posters I used to have on my wall as a kid. I'm like, wow, I don't remember that I had that. You know, just crazy stuff. But at the same time, thinking about, you, you know, that, that transition, right? And so uh, it comes along with it a lot of details, a lot of overwhelming processing of, of different information and of just having to go through the motions, right, of selling a home, emptying it, getting it ready, and buying a new one. So this past Friday, two days ago, was a big day because we finally moved my dad out to come stay with us where we are now, and my brother moved out to his place so that we could have a couple of weeks left to get his house ready, right, to get rid of the stuff we're getting rid of and donate and pack up, and and, uh, we have movers coming tomorrow to help us and all that stuff and so yesterday claudia and i were up at the house and uh there were some things that we were trying to sell and so we had posted uh this one particular bed that we had and uh it's it's a beautiful sort of trundle bed Did you ever see those you know and um uh so somebody said they wanted to buy it and um we offered to bring that to them because it was on our way and so I took it apart and we put it in, in the back of my, uh, my SUV and it just about fit. But you know when you try to put something in the back of your car and you're hoping the trunk is going to close, but it just doesn't. And so we were about this much short. And so I had to find a way to tie down the back hatch. And, all, and you can see something's coming, right? So all I had left was some twine. There was no rope at my dad's house. I didn't have any bungee cords. I didn't anticipate any of that, right? And so finally I was able to get some, some twine and uh, try to you know wrap it two, three, four times around to, to close down the hatch. 
because we had to travel about an hour on the parkway to get it there. And so I was pretty confident that this was going to work well. And so we got, we left my dad's house, we got on the parkway, and we were about a half a mile in on the parkway doing 70, and I looked back and I noticed the hatch was wide open, and everything was rattling around, and the frame was rattling, about to fall out, it was all on top of the mattresses. So I pulled over on the shoulder. Did you ever pull over on the shoulder of the Garden State Parkway? It can be a little scary. And so where, where we saw it happening, we had to pull over and there was hardly any shoulder. We we're approaching a bridge. And so, you know, so you're a little frantic and we had to pull off to the side. Finally, we got far enough where there was a big enough area on the shoulder. And we got off to the side and looked at, you know, I got out and Claudia got out with me. And I'm looking, I'm trying to figure out how can I keep this hatch closed? I could not continue, Right. And so, of course, the whole time I'm thinking, please, I don't want any police to show up. I don't want to, you know, I don't need that right now. It was a bit of an overwhelming day. And, um, and so I'm looking around. I have nothing else. I don't know. What am I going to do to keep this down? So my rescuer, here comes Claudia to the rescue. And so she gets out of the car and she says, wait, I know what we can do. So she had an old scarf that she had in the back seat and she took it and she wrapped some things around she wrapped the frame around it and she wrapped it to the you know the handle that you hold on to the inside where you hang your 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 laundry from the dry cleaner right and she wrapped it around there I'm like it was ingenious I'm like well what are we going to do about the rest in the back hatch and she's looking around she says there uh, uh, under the seat halfway sticking out is a, is an extension cord and she said could we could we use that I said sure and so we look back there, I'm thinking, that'll hold great. I'm looking, and I don't have a, a tie-down, one of these hooks on the car. And I said, I have this SUV, and I don't have a way of tying it down. So I'm really frustrated and feeling overwhelmed. And she goes, I know, let me look underneath. So next thing I know, she's on the ground. Here we are on the side, on the shoulder, on the parkway. And she's all the way on the ground looking underneath the back of the car. And I'm standing there feeling pretty lame, like I should be the one doing this. She's being so resourceful, and she gets under there. She's like, I think I got something that we can tie it to. So she takes a picture to show it to me. Can we use this? I said, I think so. I hope it's not something that moves around. I don't know. And so she gets under there and, and takes the extension cord, ties it. We brought up, and we tied it down, and sure enough, it worked. And we took off, and I'm thinking the whole way to get to this person's house, I'm thanking her. I'm like, you really saved us. You rescued us. And, and she stepped up to the plate. And she saved both of us, you know, and I was like, man, we could have been stranded out there. I don't know what we would have done. You take a big situation that could have happened and made it so much easier. And she was the hero of the day. But, you know, we all need rescuing from time to time, don't we? And, you know, after that ordeal, we were just talking. I kept thanking her and it's like, after all of this, we really will need a vacation this summer, and we're looking forward to it, you know. And it reminded me of um, a story that my friend, a pastor friend of mine, told me once about um, a family in his church blessed him. They wanted to bless him and his family with a trip to Disney World. See, this family in his church was going um, to Disney, and um, they wanted to bless the pastor and his family and take them with them. And so the friend said, you know what, it's going to be all expenses paid and claudia and i were thinking about you know what kind of trip we're going to take we want to go someplace warm you know so i was reminded of this story and and so the friend in the church said pastor we want to take you and, and and your family but all expenses paid i don't want you to pay 
for one thing. They were going to cover the hotel rooms and the meals and the tickets into the park and everything they could possibly uh, enjoy on the trip. Just as long as they would cover everything. It would be completely free for them and hassle-free. The friends would pay for everything. But but my friends... um, my my pastor friend, his friend in the church that offered this free trip said there was one condition. Just one condition. And he said, you know what? If you try to pay for anything, you're going to have to pay for all of it. In other words, if you try to pull your wallet out in any part of the trip to pay for anything, even a bottle of water, then you're going to be on the tab for everything. He insisted it was to be entirely his treat, or none of it would be his treat. That was the one condition. I was thinking, you know, what a great example of the offer that Christ makes to us. See, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin, the debt that we could never pay. He came to rescue us, to earn for us what we could never earn for ourselves, And then the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares that Jesus' payment was accepted by God the Father. As a result, everyone who places their trust in Jesus receives eternal life as a free gift. Talk about an all-expenses-paid trip to a someplace I'm hoping is nice and warm and sunny. I assume it will be. So when it comes to salvation it's important that we all keep our wallets in our pockets. That we place our complete confidence in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Because we can never attempt to add anything to the finished work of Christ. Amen? Because if we do, then we are emptying the cross of its power. And if we attempt to earn our salvation to any degree, then really in essence we're obligated to earn the rest. We might believe in the free gift of salvation, say we received it by faith, but don't we often try to add something to it? Maybe we don't even know we're doing it, but we're trying to add something of our own merit and our own strength under our own control to sort of say, well, we had something to do with it, or at least we had something to do with keeping it. But Scripture doesn't teach that. The Apostle Paul explained to us in Romans 11, if by grace then salvation cannot be based on works because if it was, grace would no longer be grace. See how that works? Because grace is free. It sounds redundant, but grace is free. Free grace is free grace, right? They go together. We don't add anything to it. So in other words, if we try to pay for anything, we'll be on the hook for everything. So this morning I want to talk to you about just that. I want to talk to you about this idea of salvation. You know, this morning is Communion Sunday. And so in a few minutes, um, after we look at God's Word together, we will close our time around the Lord's table and take the elements together. But I thought I, I would share this morning a message about why this is important. Church, why do we take Communion? What's it all about? But specifically... What are we remembering when we take the bread and we drink of the cup? You know, the Gospel tells us, the Gospel story tells us 
that we are in a predicament. There is a problem that all of us share, and it is called sin. But the Gospel also teaches us that not only is there a problem, but that there is a provision to care for this problem. That there is somebody that will come and rescue us because we are all in need of rescue. You know, we've been going through the book of Genesis, remember? And and uh, the, the title of that series is simply Foundations because it lays the foundation for all the rest of Scripture. Well, the Gospel is at the center of that and is the found, one of the foundational principles, dare I say, the, the foundational teaching of all of Scripture that there is promised restoration. Remember back in Genesis 3.15, I believe it is, where where God promises that one day there would be a rescuer because all people of all time were now in a predicament because of what we call the fall, the disobedience of Adam and Eve. See, we have inherited that. So we are all in need of being rescued by a Redeemer. And so there was that promise made because there is a problem. But God immediately offers a provision that one day there would be a rescuer. And we call that, in technical terms, it is called the atonement. The word atonement is one of these words we use when we talk about what Jesus did for us in salvation. The word atonement simply means this, church. It means to take the place of. It means to do it instead of. To be a substitute. When we say that Jesus atoned for our sins it reminds us that we are the ones that should have been hanging on the cross but jesus did it for us you see jesus blood was shed his body was given the bread and the cup in our place the atonement means that jesus took our place and that is foundational and fundamental to understanding salvation so this morning i want to look at two aspects of this of this idea of the atonement okay and so first is the condition of salvation meaning what has to happen for us to be saved but then the second part of that is what is the the content of our saving faith so there's the condition like what condition is placed on salvation like my friend's friend who said there's one condition you can't pay for anything on the trip. So what does Scripture say is the, the condition of salvation, but then from that, what is the content of salvation? Meaning, what do we have to believe in order to be saved? Because we throw around this word a lot, believe, believe in the Lord Jesus, but believe what? What do we have to believe about Jesus? Do we have to believe that he was a man. Do we have to believe that he probably had a beard? You know, right? Think about it. What do we have to believe about Jesus in order to receive salvation? So it's the how to be saved and then the what to believe. The two main things we'll look at this morning. So atonement is really the means of our salvation that Jesus took our place, right? Because God is a God of love and peace and mercy. But is He not also a God of justice? Injustice must be served. Right? Scripture often talks about the wrath of God. And we might not want to read those passages or talk about it. 
But there is the wrath of God because He is a just God because disobedience and sin must be punished. And so there needed to be punishment for the sin of Adam and Eve, our sin. And so we are the ones who are really on the hook for that, but Jesus stepped in the place. Jesus took our place so that we did not have to suffer and die like He did. So that we can have eternal life. Right? We can say amen to that. And so, therefore, we see that the atonement means that Jesus took our place. Look at what it says in Isaiah 53. I'm going to mention a lot of Scriptures this morning. Some of them will be up on the screen. Ones that I want to really highlight for your attention. Isaiah 53, 4-6 Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That sort of sums it up, doesn't it? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So notice it says, He for us. It was what He did for us. It means that He is our substitute. If you do something for someone, then you are substituting them. If you are a substitute teacher, it means that you are taking the place of the regular teacher for that day. You are standing in for that teacher. Jesus was our substitute. It was Him for us. Does that make sense? That is why we say He must increase and we must decrease. He took our place. That is the atonement. It should have been us bearing the wrath of God. But Jesus took it, took it for us. So sometimes you'll hear it called the, the vicarious atonement or the substitutionary atonement. It means the same thing. And we must never water down this belief in doctrine. Vicarious means that Jesus took the place of all humanity, suffering the penalty for sin. Atonement again means that we are reconciled, that, that God, Jesus took our place so that we could be reconnected to God. Because doesn't sin separate us from our Creator? Jesus stepped in the place of, of us and to take the penalty for sin for us on our behalf so that, there is a so that, He did it so that we could be reconciled to God. Once separated because of sin, now reconciled to God in Christ. So, 1 Peter 3.18, I won't, I won't read through all these, but I want to give these to you in case you take notes. Maybe you want to write some things in the margin of your Bible, but 1 Peter 3.18 tells us that Jesus' death was the righteous for the unrighteous. See, the, the substitution. Mark 10.45 says that He came to give His life as a ransom for many. And 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 says that we were bought with a price see how they all describe this idea of the atonement how about the role of the blood of christ because when we take communion we not only take the bread to remember his body given 
But we drink the, the cup of juice representing the blood poured out on our behalf. See, it's free to us, but it costs Jesus His life. Because blood is, is the, the, the sustenance of life. It's what keeps us going. And Jesus gave that up for us. The expense was paid by Christ to make us free. That cup in communion is symbolic to help us remember that it was His blood and not ours. It is free for us, salvation. A free gift. But it cost Jesus His very life. It should never become an empty ritual for us, this communion that we share together. We should never do it just out of ritual, just because it's something that we think we should do or we're taught to do. But it's so important that we understand as believers, this is one of the two ordinances that Jesus gave to us. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of His body and His blood. You know, um, in Romans 5.19, you'll see this one up on the screen for you. Romans 5, sorry, 5.9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. See, it's all because of the shed blood of Christ. Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And then Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. See the substitution there? It's called the great imputation. Our unrighteousness imputed or placed on Christ, His righteousness, perfect righteousness, put on us so that now we can enter into the presence of a holy God. You see that? Because a holy, perfect, and righteous God cannot have any amount of sin enter into His presence. So therefore, When we're reconciled to Him, we must be made perfect and cleansed to all righteousness, not by of our own works, but because we are now in Christ. See that? Christ is the glue that keeps us and God the Father reconciled together. And that is eternal and forever. (laughs) And so, what is the extent of this atonement? I mean, Christ died for whom? He died for the whole world. It's all throughout John's Gospel. Church, if you want to share your faith, to share the Gospel with somebody that, that, that doesn't yet know the Lord, if you want to share your faith in Jesus Christ, share the Gospel, turn to the Gospel of John. Because it truly is that one main book of all the New Testament that is geared towards unbelievers, people who have yet believed in Jesus for salvation. Turn to the Gospel of John and you'll see all throughout His Gospel Over and over how Jesus died for the world. How about John 3.16? Did you ever hear of that verse? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His... Wait, who did He love? The whole world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
How about in 1 John? 1 John 2.2. What does it say? He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of whom? For the whole world. So many times in John's Gospel, he talks about this. It's also mentioned in 1 Timothy 4.10 that He's the Savior for all men. And 2 Peter 2.1 that he, that he brought all people, the whole world, to Himself. See, the whole world is now savable because of what Christ did. But there needs to be that belief. It's like getting a gift at Christmas. The gift is offered, but all you need to do is reach out and accept it and say thank you that's what we do the atonement jesus taking our place is complete we can add nothing to it we are supposed to keep our wallets in our pockets see and not try to pay for any part of it colossians 3 1 says this if then you have been raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god you notice where jesus is seated now at the right hand of God. He is seated. Another one. Revelation 3.21 To one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. You see, there's significance here. There's significance that Jesus is now sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Look at Hebrews 1, chapter 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Church, just the simple fact that Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father tells us that the atonement is complete. Here's why. Did you know that in the tabernacle there was no chair because the priest was never finished offering sacrifices? See, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there are what we call prefigurements of the atonement of Christ. Things that, that foreshadow the fact that Jesus would be that redeemer, redeemer and take our place. And then when he was finished, sit down at the right hand of the Father. So, when under the Old Testament sacrificial system that the Hebrews had, right, given, given to them by God through Moses, they had the tabernacle where they would go and, and they would, the priest on behalf of the people would offer sacrifices. But there was no chair because the priest would never be finished offering sacrifices because the priest would have to come in at least once a year, every year. So when the priest would offer sacrifices, it didn't last forever. It was only temporary until he would do it again next year. But when Jesus sat down, what he was saying is that it is finished. Did he not say that from the cross? He sat down because it was done. Because no further sacrifices needed to be made we don't have to take out our wallets and try to do anything or pay for anything regarding our salvation because Jesus did it all. He said it is finished and now He sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. In Luke chapter 4, 
Um, you don't have to turn there now, but in Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins His earthly ministry by going into the temple and opening the scroll to teach like any good rabbi would. He read a, a section from Isaiah. He read it, and He folded it back up, and then He sat down. He sat down and He said, these words are now fulfilled in your hearing. He said it to the people. And they were amazed. Because he was saying what he just read from Isaiah about the coming Messiah, which was him, was fulfilled in him. But he sat down to teach, just like the rabbis did. In fact, saying, it is finished. It is complete now that I am here. I am that promised Redeemer. So we can then confidently say, Jesus paid it all. And Jesus did it all. And we can't add anything to it. And I praise God for that. We received a free gift by faith at that moment of salvation. And that is it. And there's others, and I won't show you the Scripture, but to give you the idea, other Old Testament foreshadowings are what we call prefigurements of the atonement. Genesis 3-7, God provides animal skins for Adam and Eve. Remember they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves? was not sufficient see they tried to cover their sin by themselves don't get that don't let that be lost on you church but when god banished them from the garden what did he do he covered them with animal skins how did god get the skin of an animal he sacrificed an animal innocent blood was shed so that adam and eve's sin could be covered does that sound familiar and that's all the way back in genesis chapter 3 the story of Abraham and Isaac. God says to Abraham, take your only son. Take your only son. He was to be offered on Mount Moriah. That's the name of the mountain, church, where, I, where um, Abraham brought Isaac. Remember, they climbed up to the mountain where he was about to sacrifice Isaac before God intervened. Mount Moriah. You know what happened a thousand years after that event with Abraham and Isaac? A thousand years after that event, King Solomon, David's son, builds the first temple where sacrifices would be offered. The same place, the same geographical location, a thousand years later. You have Abraham and Isaac. A thousand years later, you have Solomon builds a temple where sacrifices are to be offered. And church... Do you know what happens a thousand years after Solomon builds that temple? Jesus is crucified in the same location on Calvary. Would we say, eh, probably just a coincidence. That is God at work. That is God in all of His glory, but all of His mercy showing the people of God, look at how I'm going to provide for you. You will not have to cover your sins on your own with fig leaves. I will provide the sacrifice. But without the shedding of blood, it says in Hebrews, there is no forgiveness of sin. So, the promised Redeemer must come, but He will be born for one purpose only, and that is to die. Jesus was born to die. He needed to go to the cross he needed to die on the cross, His blood to be shed, to fulfill Scripture and to fulfill God's plan for what we call the atonement. To be reconciled to God by Jesus taking our place, taking God's wrath directed towards us and taking it upon Himself. 
There are many other Old Testament references to the atonement. In Leviticus 16, there is a remembrance that God gives to the people of Israel and says every year you will have what's called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. So our Jewish friends do this every year. The Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, I believe it is. The Day of Atonement so that they can atone for all of their past sins for that year. But see, that has to happen every year. But we believe Jesus was the fulfillment of that. He now sits at the right hand of the Father because it is finished. And it is complete. See, the priest would have to go into that tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, once a year, sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant right, with the blood from the sacrifice, And so therefore the debt, the sin debt, was not paid in full but postponed for a year until he would do it again. That is what is remembered on Yom Kippur. But when Christ was on the cross, do you remember the power that came to fruition when the veil of the temple of the Holy of Holies was torn in two so that we now have complete and free access to God our Creator all because of the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Because at that moment, the earth shook, it says in the Gospels, and the veil of that curtain that separated people from God and the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom, showing us that only God can do it. It wasn't man that ripped it from bottom to top. It was God who did it from top to bottom. God provided the atonement. God provided the way for salvation for each and every one of us. And He did it through Jesus Christ, His only Son. We can now enter into God's presence and not die. But just the opposite. We can have eternal life, but only through Christ. So, what is the condition? All of that as a preface to say very briefly, what's the condition of salvation? And what is the content the content of our salvation. How are we saved? First one, condition. There's only one condition. Remember the my pastor friend's friend said, there's only one condition. I'm taking you to, to Florida, but the one condition is you can't pay for even a single thing. The one condition of salvation is this word, believe. It's not believe and do some good works. It is believe. There's more than 150 passages in all of Scripture that focus on this one idea of believe for salvation. Faith alone. We're going to talk about trust, faith, believe. They are synonymous when it comes to salvation. It is what we call from the Great Reformation over 500 years ago, sola fide, faith alone. There's almost a hundred times alone in the Gospel of John where it talks about believing. The one condition of salvation is that you believe, that you put your faith, you put your trust in Jesus. It is believing. In Genesis 15, 6, remember what it says about Abraham? And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham did a lot of good works or that he was a righteous man when God chose him. It says he believed the Lord and that was credited to him for righteousness. It's the same for us. We believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation and then his righteousness is credited to us. See, it's the same thing. That's Genesis 3. All the way we're looking at the Gospel of John. John 3.16, John 5.24, John 6, John 16, 8-9 it talks about it. 
How about Acts 16? 30 to 31. Look at this one, Acts 16. The, the jailer. Do you remember the jailer when the apostles were freed from jail by the miracle of God? And the jailer couldn't believe his eyes, and so he turns the apostles, the apostles and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved like you? And what was the answer? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. If anyone in your household believes, they will be saved too. What a simple answer. If somebody ever comes to you and says, What must I do to be a Christian? How do I get saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus for the salvation of your sin and you will be saved. So, belief or faith is the only condition of salvation because faith is not from our works. It's all about grace, which is unmerited favor. The unmerited favor of God. When we believe, two things are really happening. We are believing in God Believing in Jesus and who He said He was, that is God Himself, the Son of God. And that He did what He said He was going to do. So we believe that Jesus is who He says He is, who is God. And believe that He did what He said He was going to do. And die in our place, the atonement. And then, we trust Him in that belief. We trust Him for that salvation. So, we understand it up here, who God is, who Jesus said He is. But then we trust Him for what He did on the cross. See, it's two-pronged when we believe that He is who He says He is. We believe Him, but then we trust that His work on the cross was sufficient for our salvation. But then the second thing, the content of salvation. If that's the condition, one condition to believe, what do we actually have to believe about Jesus to be saved? See, we can know a lot of stuff about Jesus, can't we? We can know a lot of things about Him. But for the simple fact, the content of saving faith, do we trust in who He said He was, and that is God, and did what He said He would do, die and rise again, that He would do it for us? It's not just theoretical. Do you believe it for you? That He not only died for the sins of the world, John 3.16, but you are part of that world, see? He died for your personal sin. That is the content of saving faith. That Jesus has the power to do what He said He could do and did what He said He would do. And now to close, I have three final things for you. They're going to be up on the screen. Maybe you want to take notes on this. Three separate ways to say what I just said. Three separate ways to say what I just said. The first thing, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. If you see, <clears throat> it's funny, you know, um, part of the problem of getting old is that you can't see as well. Anybody uh, can give me sort of an amen to that? Uh, and so I have it up on the screen for you, but up there it's a lot smaller, and so I'm just looking at a bunch of. Scribble up there. Here's look what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now listen, this is the Apostle Paul describing the Gospel because he's telling the believers at Corinth, don't mess the Gospel up. Don't mess with it. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. Look at, look at how Paul describes the Gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, 
and that was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then to more than five hundred. You see what it says there? Uh, Paul is outlining in very simple form the Gospel. He says Christ died according to the Scriptures. So there's the fact Christ died. And the Scripture gives proof. But also He was buried. So that's a physical proof. Okay, So, two parts to the Gospel. Christ died. Scripture says it. And He was buried. So He really did die. Christ was raised. He says also, according to the Scriptures. So there's Scriptural proof. But then Christ appeared to Cephas in the 70 and 500 more. There's the physical proof. Do you see that? Remember, Paul was in a, an attorney of sorts. And so he knows how to make his case. So he's saying, here's the Gospel and don't forget it. Christ died. What's my proof? Scripture says it. And He was buried. So it really happened. But Christ rose again. What's my proof? Scripture says it. And He appeared to Cephas and then to 70 and then to 500 more. See that? See If anybody ever asks you, what, what is the Gospel? What's the content of the Gospel? Here's a great passage you can turn to. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died according to the Scriptures and was buried. Christ rose again according to the Scriptures and then He appeared to many hundreds of people. How about this second slide? The Gospel. How about we explain it this way? See, there's bad news. The bad news. that You can't get the good news without the bad news first. You ever hear somebody try to explain the Gospel and it's all good news? Well, we love that part, don't we? But how do you know it's good until you know that there's bad news? Until you know that there's a problem? There's a problem, there's a provision. See, there's bad news. We are sinners before a holy God. Romans 3.23 The bad news is also that there's got to be a penalty for that sin. And the penalty is death. Genesis 2 and Romans 6. But now there's good news. The good news is that God provided Jesus to pay that penalty. And the good news is that you can be saved by believing, which is simply receiving the gift of faith. And do, I mean receiving the gift by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The good news also tells us that God wants you to know for sure that you are saved. We call that the assurance of salvation. John 5 and 6 and 1 John 5. And one more slide. And then I have a brief story for you before we take the, the bread and the cup together. Maybe we can make it even more simplified. See, there's a problem. We are sinners before a holy God. And there's a personal penalty for it. We can't pay it on our own because we're not holy. But there's a problem, but there's a provision. Only God Himself can pay that penalty. And He did in Jesus. Why only God Himself? Because He alone is perfect. He is the only perfect Son of God who died and rose again. And then there is the promise. The promise is that you believe. If you believe, you will be saved. You receive that free offer by belief and you can be assured you didn't earn it and you cannot lose it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your works, lest anyone boast. Right? It is a free gift of God. There is a story often told of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease that her brother had recovered from two years prior. 
Her only chance for recovery was a blood transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease, just like her brother. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was an ideal donor. Would you give your blood to your sister? The doctor asked. The boy hesitated. His lower lips started to tremble and quiver and he kind of mustered up half a smile and he said, sure, for my sister. So soon the the two children, brother and sister, were wheeled into the hospital room and the the, the sister looked pale and thin and, and the boy was robust and as healthy as ever, but neither of them spoke. But when their eyes met, the boy grinned and he looked over to his sister. As the nurse inserted the needle into the young boy's arm, his smile slowly faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube from his body to his sister's body. But towards the end, when it was almost over, his voice, slightly shaking, broke the silence of the moment and said, Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize that the boy had hesitated. Why his lips had had trembled and why he finally agreed to donate his blood. He thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. In that brief moment, the boy had made the greatest decision ever. But, But fortunately, he didn't have to die to save his sister like he thought he would. But see, each of us, however have a condition way more serious than the sister. And it requires Jesus to give His blood His very life. As we conclude our time around the Lord's table, I hope that these words and all of these Scriptures reminded you of the importance of communion. We call it communion because it represents and it signifies that we are reconciled to God because of our Savior Jesus. It reminds us of the atonement that Jesus stood in our place. He hung on the cross where we should have hung. He did it for you and He did it for me. Communion reminds us that because of Jesus, because His body is given and His blood is shed for us, that we can once again have communion with God. But it also is a reminder that we do this together, Jesus says. We do it together in communion with one another. Do you know that? That this act of communion helps us remember that we are a community. A community of believers gather around these elements remembering the Lord Jesus and His sacrifice on our behalf, but that He brings us together. For Jesus is the head of the church. But it is His blood, His shed blood for us, and our faith and belief in that, that is our common denominator as a community of believers. And so we take communion together in remembrance of Him. See, Jesus instituted this, the Lord's Supper, on the night before He was betrayed. He was celebrating the Passover. 
remember the Passover? It's the, the Jewish holiday, the, the Jewish remembrance of God rescuing the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And you remember the last plague that was called down upon the people. God saved the Hebrews from that last plague. But in turn, all of the Egyptian firstborn were killed. But why? How were the Hebrews saved? Because God told them to sacrifice a lamb, a perfect lamb without blemish, and take its blood and put it over the doorposts of their home so that they would be saved. That is what the Jewish people remember on Passover. That is the the moment that Jesus was remembering with his disciples in that upper room the night before he was betrayed by Judas. He was remembering that with his disciples and he was telling them, this is now a new covenant, a new understanding of this symbolic ritual. Do this in remembrance of me. Here was Jesus at the Last Supper with a a lamb, a cooked lamb after it was sacrificed would be cooked, a cooked lamb on the table before him, knowing full well in a few short hours he would be the sacrificial lamb. Jesus instituted communion, what we are about to do together on that fateful night. The Apostle Paul tells us He says that whenever we eat the bread or drink from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that we would be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord, that we are to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That we are to examine our relationship with God and with others. See, in Paul's day, there was issues of during the communion remembrance and then the feast, the agape feast that followed and people were not taking it seriously and they were being greedy, not thinking of their their fellow brothers and sisters. So Paul says, you know what? Before we come to communion, take a moment to reflect and examine your heart and where you stand with God and with others. So we're going to do that now in remembrance of Him. As you hear the music play, just take a moment to reflect on all that's been said this morning, on all the scriptures. Reflect on your current relationship with the Lord Jesus and and with others. Your communion with Christ and your communion with the body of believers. Let's take a few moments to examine ourselves now.